0: Neurodiversity just means everybody has a different brain. There's no one normal brain. Neurodiversity means what it sounds like it should mean. It's just a fact of the human uh, species.
1: We're Nick and Sonia, and this is Dyslexia Journey, where we help you support the dyslexic kid in your life.
2: All right. And today we are excited to welcome Ed Thompson, who is the author of the book, A Hidden Force Unlocking the the Potential of Neurodiversity at Work. And I'll read a short bio about Ed. Um, So Ed Thompson is the founder and CEO of Optimize, the leading neuroinclusion training company, whose mission is to help organizations embrace and leverage every type of thinker. Born and raised in London and educated at the University of Oxford, Ed founded Optimize in 2016, recognizing the urgent need for greater understanding and appreciation of neurodiversity within the working world. His role with Optimize has afforded him unique insights and connections with pioneers in the neurodiversity at work field across the world. Welcome, Ed.
0: Hi.
1: So to start with, we'd love to hear a little more about your background and how you got interested in this topic of neurodiversity in the workplace.
0: Yeah, so for me, this started with having a quite serious car accident about four days into my career. So first job after university, um, the Friday evening of that first week, I had a major car accident and a traumatic brain injury. And that led to being off work uh, a a substantial period, eventually, kind of coming back slowly. But it also led to some differences in terms of how my brain worked, in terms of some new sensory sensitivities, uh, some slightly different processing speeds, some issues with working memory, uh, and so on. Now, at the time, I'd never heard of the word neurodiversity. I wasn't thinking about neurodiversity at all. I was simply thinking about the fact that. I'd had a car accident, I was lucky to survive, and I'd had these uh, injuries. And It was years later when I actually took my first full-time job after the accident, once I was well enough to, to do so. I was working for a tech company in London, and I was working for uh, a CEO who'd hired me thinking, OK, he had a bit of a strange start to his career, but he went to Oxford, probably smart, you know, let's see what he can do for me. I found myself working in diversity and people, which was something of a, of a surprise because these were really some of the big priorities that this CEO had. And I think these days that's pretty common that what were H, uh, HR priorities have kind of become CEO priorities, people, diversity. How do we make sure we don't all look the same, think the same and so on? How do we innovate you know, this stuff is not just lip service. It really is, I think, mean, critical to the future of, of business. So I got involved in very strategic diversity work with that company and then began to link up other organizations in tech in London and, and, and do the same with them. And it was through that that I started joining the dots between diversity and what I'd seen it bring in the workplace and my own experience and the experience of some neurodivergent relatives and realized gosh organizations don't know anything about neurodiversity uh what if they did uh wouldn't that change the world that was the uh the, the genesis of, of optimize to, to change that
2: that's a really interesting um sort of backstory to your work um uh i should say also we um we really enjoyed reading <laughs> your book um it's a really we feel like it's a really well-written book really important um i think Everyone, uh, you know, every company, every person in every company should be reading this book. Um, so, thank you for for getting that information out there. Um, could you, um, you know, we've, we've been using the word um, neurodiversity already uh, quite a bit. Could you, um, really quickly, maybe uh, explain the concept of neurodiversity um, to our audience and sort of the way that you talk about it in the book?
0: Yeah, let me do it in a way that sort of relates to. workplace a little bit because i think that's how we certainly where we focus as as an organization and it's important to do this i think it's often misunderstood neurodiversity just means everybody has a different brain there's no one normal brain neurodiversity means what it sounds like it should mean it's just a fact of the human uh, species Interestingly, though, we're never taught that basic fact, really, at uh, at school and in education. Um, And as a result, it's generally not really considered or catered for in organisations. This fact that we all have different brains, different ways of processing information, different ways of experiencing our sensory world, different preferences in terms of how we like to communicate uh, and so on. Nobody's thinking about this. So what happens? in workplaces is norms emerge, right? Just ways of working that work for some and often work for the majority, that's why it becomes a norm, but don't always work uh, for others. Now yes, no two brains are the same, some people have a shared sense of identity or what we call neuro identity, due to having some traits in common uh, and that identity often comes or, or can be solidified through a diagnosis mm-hmm. as, for example, autistic dyslexia, uh, ADHD, yeah. um, and so on. And we know what's called neurodivergent people bring talent, bring different ways of thinking. And yet these norms I mentioned can often unintentionally exclude them. Uh, neuroinclusion, which is what you described optimizes being a, you know, our focus, it's about enabling everybody. It's about enabling every different brain to thrive and, and unleashing, if you like, true diversity of thought.
1: Yeah. I'm wondering, you started to cover this already, you know, in your backstory and, and just simply in that definition, but I'm wondering if you could give us a bit of an overview, just a brief overview of what the book covers and what your hopes would be for someone who reads it, what what you want to get across.
0: Yeah, I, I really wrote the book to to share the exciting experiences and, and progress I've seen through my work at, at Optimise. You know, yes, there's a long way to go, and and we see also uh, the issues that exist. And we've talked to and I talked to uh, a lot of neurodivergent people who continue to face barriers at work. And of course, that's part of the story. But I really have seen great things happening. We get feedback from from learners in organisations that we train that can be quite emotional. We see neurodivergent people saying, you know, this is the first time I've ever been in an organisation that that cared about people like me. And, and the relief it, it is kind of palpable. Uh, we also get really powerful feedback from managers, colleagues and so on who may be neurotypical but who say, I never thought of this before and this is the best thing I've seen in leadership in, in, in 20 years. And I think that kind of magic, you know, that you're not getting that if you're training people in anti-bribery, you know, health and safety and so on, Le- general leadership. These are things that, are, of course, are important, but have been around for decades. I think something really exciting is, is, is happening here. And I wanted to kind of highlight that and, and, and share it for, for everybody. And of course anybody in a in a team, I mean our organization in terms of training focuses largely on businesses, but neurodiversity is again just a human fact, relates to any team. The idea of the book is to be approachable and tell any reader, you know, what this is, as we've been discussing today, why it matters, why it matters to them, and then how they can bring neuroinclusion to their own work uh, or that of their team.
2: Um
0: yeah, so one thing
2: that um, we really appreciate about your book is um, how you emphasize that neurodiversity just really means that that no brain is alike. Um, and how the sort of work on neuroinclusion and flexibility really benefits everyone, um, whether they are neurotypical or neurodivergent. Um, so I think one example that comes to mind is to talk about how open office plans are often not great for um, um, autistic individuals, but uh, they're also not great for a lot of people, like people who are more introverted or, or um, etc. cetera. Um, so, do you want to um, talk a little bit more about how, how this sort of work on neuroinclusivity really benefits everybody? Yeah, I
0: think, I think we have to be careful to generalize a, a, a little bit that whether it's open offices or whether it's, uh, you know, verbal interviews or, or, or whatever of course those don't i mean the key point is they don't suit everybody but they they might suit an autistic person who is a verbal thinker for example who or who uh in, enjoys that kind of social part of uh of, of work um but but again they don't suit everybody and that's the key thing and i think a common theme and, and realization of work around neuroinclusion has been that everybody uh, benefits an interesting example of this yesterday we had a event at Optimizing we had Lyric Rivera who's well known for their blog the Neurodivergent Rebel uh, coming to talk. uh, They're a uh, speaker, uh, author, consultant Um, and they talk about the idea of neurodivergent people being canaries in the coal mine in the the modern workplace. Uh, The idea that neurodivergent people can spot where things don't work that well and by fixing them everybody benefits and and they have a story uh, in their career around flexible working and I'm I'm paraphrasing but the example in their book is sort of you know when I was accommodated as the first neurodivergent person in the organisation everybody was accommodated Um, let's think about how does that work so neuro inclusion involves things like clear communication flexibility in terms of how we work, when we work and so on. Um, It involves, as you mentioned, office spaces and attention to work environments to avoid unpleasant sensory stimulation. Now, you can see how some neurodivergent people may particularly benefit from those improvements and even find them mission critical. But it's also not hard to see how everybody else could uh, too. It brings parenting to life. We want a mom who's listening to see herself and her kids in these stories and rest in the confidence that she is the perfect mom for her kids. Check out the iMom podcast with new episodes every Monday.
1: Yeah, we also appreciated how you addressed um, intersectionality. Um, and so, I'm wondering if you could say a little more about that, how other aspects of background and identity are also involved and intersect.
0: Absolutely, very important. There's all sorts of stereotypes of like, neurodiversity, neurodivergent people. I think one that people probably be familiar with and may even hold subconsciously is that, for example, autistic people are in a male. Nerdy white—that's I think the mental picture for for many. Part of that comes through cultural representations, uh, of course. Intersectionality is really important. Reminds us that anybody can be neurodivergent. Neurodivergence is present across all different uh, demographics. In practice, it also seems like a disproportionate number of people who are neurodivergent uh, are also within the LGBTQ plus uh, community. Now, I don't have perfect. Data on that, but I know we've worked with organisations where that's very obviously uh, been the case in their demographic, um, and, and and I think you can see that through some of the stories in um, in my book. Um, so why does this matter? It, it, it's important. I think it's really important to recognise the challenges that people may have, where in a sense they find themselves in multiple minority groups, and in some cases they may be faced with uh, a double question of whether to, to disclose. Do, do you disclose um, as being queer and disclose as being dyslexic in, in your team? Bear in mind, any disclosure like that, uh, people often find, I think, with good reason, stressful, um, difficult, and, and and so on. And of course, feeling at the mercy of, of, of the culture that they disclose uh, into. I've heard stories of people who've disclosed once as, say, deaf. But then don't want to disclose as an ADHD because they think, well, gosh, how many things can I disclose uh, to my team? So I think it's uh, an extra reminder that we need these cultures that really embrace people and their and their differences. If we if we truly want people to bring them bring their full selves to work, and that idea of bringing people's full selves to work has been a big kind of buzz phrase, I think, for good reason over the last um, couple of years. I think intersectionality is also important if we are going to truly support other minority groups that we might, if you like, be more familiar with trying to support. So, of course, a lot of organisations have made efforts at ethnic minority inclusion, at gender inclusion. Now, I don't believe those can be done properly if we don't consider the fact that this is a neurodiverse landscape uh, in each case. And I think intersectionality is also a reminder, again, back to those stereotypes, to elevate, and I think it's the sort of thing we tried to do, to elevate different voices to present the neurodivergent community in its true variety.
2: Let's um, shift gears a little bit and um, talk about maybe, um, can you discuss a little bit the benefits and drawbacks of medicalizing neurodivergence?
0: I- well, it's a very controversial topic. Some people might recoil at the idea of positives here. Yeah. But in my book I, I do acknowledge and I just try to be as balanced as, as, as possible and, and, and kind of read this uh from, from from as impartial a perspective as I can. I do acknowledge medicine as a whole role at first in appreciating these brain differences. Of course, this came from uh, from that world, and then of course many people get value from the medication and support that the medical world uh, provides. So you know, I do think there have been some positives, uh, but it's important I think as well to acknowledge the, the the drawbacks. And and I suppose probably far fewer people are aware of these drawbacks, but those that are feel them very 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 strongly. I think one of those is the way medicine has frame these differences as like in terms of negatives only it's the idea of kind of deviations from from a norm I think rather than what we know now the idea that you know brains are different they've come from this idea that sort of brains are either kind of as they should be or something's wrong with them and you know a kid is expressing certain things less well than, than than other kids and therefore you know there's something wrong with them and so on I think that's really been damaging. And what's called the neurodiversity movement, which is really the sort of disability rights or, or or social activism movement here, is in a decades-long battle to change some of those core perspectives that neurodivergent people are sort of broken or less than, and actually uh, stress that neurodiversity is just this human uh, reality and everybody's brain is different with their own strengths and you know, challenges and so on in different in different contexts. So there's this real kind of rewiring, I think that's that's needed. Um, and in the workplace, it's interesting. You can see this obvious dissonance, right? You know, neurodivergent people. Many of the top business people of our time, you know, are in that category. Uh, yet, if organisations do anything to to include neurodivergent people, and often they don't, it can be kind of like limited disability or even sort of charity initiatives. Well, I think that's changing. I think I think the story of that change is kind of the story of of the book. And yes, it's about inclusion. I mentioned you know, norms that are excluding people, but it's also just about ways of working and how people as a whole, any team, any neurodiverse team, can can work together. You know, to 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 perform to its best.
1: I was just going to say this is um, very important to us as well, and it can be a challenge because we're talking a lot of times about difficulties and challenge as well but we really try to always get in as well um you know the benefits of having a dyslexic brain for example
2: mm-hmm. and yeah and, and that's another thing that I really liked about your book is you um you you don't talk about this as as um like a charity to sort of help diverse individuals like like you really emphasize that this this benefits everyone like a lot of like you said a lot of the top thinkers and and people in in business are neurodiver- neurodivergent and so um this is real i mean even in the title of your book right a hidden force. like you're really emphasizing that there are all these kind of untapped strengths unrecognized strengths that um really benefits everyone
1: and yeah and just to go a little more uh specific for examples um what have you seen in terms of dyslexic individuals in the workplace and some of the benefits?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned many top business people are neurodivergent. Many top business people are dyslexic. You look at the uh, sharks on the TV program Shark Tank. Uh, that The British version is dragons on what we call Dragon's Den. Uh, many of them are dyslexic and reading their stories, as I did for the book. Many credit this with their success. Um, Barbara Corcoran, Kevin O'Leary, Damon John, and so on. And of course, Richard Branson, one of the preeminent business icons of our days, describes being dyslexic as a gift. Um, So where does this come from? I think it comes from some of the dyslexic skills that uh, Brock and Fernet eyed. Uh, talk about in their book the dyslexic advantage a really great book they talk about the idea of kind of flip side strengths so some of this same brain wiring that might lead to challenges also has these these strengths and they and they name and they really kind of go to detail as to as to some of these uh, dyslexic thinking uh, advantages things like 3d thinking being able to make connections narrative reasoning the idea of kind of insight We don't know exactly how a dyslexic brain has these strengths. Um, I talk in the book uh, about one neurologist called Manuel Casanova, who suggested it may be related to kind of longer brain fibres, or what are called mini columns in in the uh, cerebral cortex of of the brain. But we don't really know. I think the, the, the point is, if you like, that dyslexic brains are made this way. And they may come with some disadvantages in some contexts, but they come with significant and and less well-known advantages uh, too. And and just to to kind of summarise this, I think there was an interesting process for me, of course, as there has been building the company in writing the book. And I think one of the things I was most struck by is how you look at the top of almost any field of life. The... Amount of neurodivergent representation there is, is really striking. Uh, I don't know if that should be a surprise, but it really was. You, you look at the top actors, the top sports people, the top Olympians, and there's this strong representation. And, and again, that was kind of a message I wanted to get in the book. Not that necessarily the idea of superpowers, but just I think we need this major shift in terms of how we think about different brains.
2: Yeah, one of the um, particular traits that you mentioned that um, could be um, one of the reasons that neurodivergent individuals are at the top of their fields is this idea of divergent thinking. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about that, or maybe some some of the other traits that that you think um, might contribute to this success?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I think people are a lot of people are used to this idea of kind of linear thinking. And 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 linear thinking in its most kind of raw is that kind of building block model. Now, of course, some neurodivergent people may be very strong at that, particularly strong at that, really kind of building a, a linear argument grounded in data and and, and facts. Um, so one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. Um, but many are also strong in Divergent thinking again—a con- a concept that that's not really that well known. Something that seems to come a little less naturally to so-called neurotypicals than it does in um, to neurodivergent people. Now, one interviewee for my book described divergent thinking as the difference between sort of trying to break down a locked front door, just kind of bashing away, versus going around to the back, exploring possibilities there. So I think in practice, if we kind of build on that metaphor, it means, you know, people can see an issue or, or approach a problem completely differently. And, and of course, it's often valuable uh, at work. You know, although, although I've got a friend, uh, Stu Shader, who's a dyslexia advocate, who's a, a salesperson, and he, he talks about being able to use some of this divergent thinking to kind of get to answers around, you know, deals and, and how his organisation can can work with the customer and sometimes actually having to catch people up to that thinking or solution because it wasn't linear. It's come from this different angle. And again, I think that strength, sadly, can be a contextual challenge when it's not uh, understood and and appreciated in interviews, for example, uh, where people can expect a certain type of answer, be a little thrown when they get a, a very different type of answer. I think that's wrong. I think that should be you know, embraced, but I think that's what happens. Uh, Or in work, you know, where a a manager maybe expects a certain process to get from A to B. And actually, you know, what if this uh, individual doesn't want to start at A, they want to start at D, you know, come back the other way. I I think the lesson is focusing on the result over the how as much as possible um, and letting different thinkers work in the way that suits them best to get there.